Good morning, church. That was good. You guys are awake. Love it. It's awesome. Had your coffee. I had my Red Bull, so we're good to go. This sermon will be 15 minutes long. Maybe a little longer than that. Uh, If you're new here, my name is Matt Ortiz. I am one of uh, the pastors here. And if I have not met you yet, please, please, after the message is over, after the service is over, introduce yourself to me. I'd love to to meet you and and get to know you. To bring you up to speed, um, we are currently in a series, a church life series called Forged by Grace. And for many people, um, what we've been looking looking at is that for many people, the biggest challenge to Christianity is the church. For reasons that are fair or unfair, um, the biggest challenge to Christianity is, is the church. Uh, surveys tell us that 80% of Americans believe you can be a good Christian and not be involved in church at all. Well, it's a free country and you can do whatever you want, right? But if you want to know Jesus, if you want to believe in Christ, you have to get in touch with the only documents that, that we have. For example, the Gospel of John. John, in his Gospel, he commits 25% of his, of his book, chapters 13 through 17, five chapters out of 20, to what Jesus says in the last days before, right before he dies. Whatever you say for hours and hours right before you die is probably pretty important to you, right? So what is Jesus doing in those chapters? Well, he's talking and praying about the church. What does that tell you? What does that tell you about what the church means to Jesus? So we've been looking at different characteristics of the church, And so if it's important to Jesus, it must be important to us too, right? This morning, we are looking at what is absolutely central to church, and that is worship. Worship is central to church. Peter, James, and John have an amazing worship experience on this mountain. They came to know for the first time what was available to Jesus. I mean, something happened here that totally changed their lives forever. Because here's the deal. You are more of who you are created to be in worship. You are more of who you were designed to be, created to be, when you are worshiping. This passage teaches us three things about worship. Worship that changes your life. And if you're taking notes with the handout in your bulletin, the first point is this. We're going to be talking about the dynamic of worship. And here's, here's a summary in worship. In worship, what you know about God becomes real. It becomes real to you. It's not just some religious activity. What you know about God gets internalized and it moves you. So this passage shows us that in three places. The first verse in this passage, uh, in verse uh, 28, it starts by saying, now about eight days after. Why in the world does he start this passage with that? 
What's he doing? Well, what he's doing is he is connecting what he's about to say with what had just happened beforehand. Right before this, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him and says, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You are the Christ, the Deliverer that was promised in the Old Testament. You are the one we've been waiting for. And so they had these right beliefs. Jesus is not just some great guy. He was the divine promised deliverer. And you know what? Even though they believed that, it wasn't until this event that what they believed became real to them. They knew that he was the son of God, but when they go up to the mountain of prayer, what do they do? They fell asleep, right? I grew up in a Christian home. I was taught good theology, but I'm telling you, I was asleep to it. Totally asleep to it. It didn't make a difference in my heart. Therefore, it didn't make a difference in my life. I started praying that that at some point, I started praying that God would be real to me. Because you know what? If he's not real, then why are we wasting our time with all this? All of this is just nonsense and it's stupid, right? If he's not real, but if he is real, all of this should not be reduced to some lame religious hobby. I mean, if this was real to you, if it was real to me, I mean, it would just totally blow your mind what church could be like, you know? As, as we glorify him together, as, as the reality of who Jesus is just totally defines every area of our life, if he's real. I remember when I was helping a, a church, um, I helped them build a set for this church play, an Easter play that they were having. And they were rehearsing the scene where Jesus was on the, on the, on the cross and, and a scene where he says, uh, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit, and, and, and he dies. And I have heard that a million times, okay? And I heard it a million times. But out of the blue, God just opened my eyes in a way where that just became real to me, and it just clobbered me. I mean, it knocked me over. It led me to worship. It became more real to me. In verse 32, it says, Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake. Let me stop there. Because waking up from sleeping, I think, is a great picture of worship. Let me, let me, let me explain. About 10 years ago, I, had, there was, I was in a season of having lots of nightmares, like very realistic, troubling nightmares. Most of them involved someone shooting me. It was always someone different. Someone walking up, pulling a gun, and shooting me. And then all of them were, there were other ones too, but all of them were intense. There was one when a guy was chasing Shannon, a man was chasing Shannon with a knife and trying to kill her, and it was none other than Little Tattoo from Fantasy Island. I am not even making this up. I am telling you the God's honest truth. 
And in the dream, I got between him and Shannon, and I was stiff-arming his head. I was holding him back by stiff-arming his head. And then he tried to, to, to stab me, but his arms were, like, too short, so he couldn't stab me. And then I started kicking him and, and, and kicking him. And then I heard Shannon say, Matt, you're kicking me. Why are you kicking me? Wake up. I was asleep, and I was kicking my wife. But Tattoo, he had a knife, and he was trying to kill you. I was trying to stop him. I can't believe that picture was actually found on the internet. Like, in Google images, I'm like, Tattoo with a knife. Oh, there it is. When I am asleep, I am not alive to reality. I am alive to non-reality where people are trying to kill me or my, my family. I'm afraid of what is not real, and I'm not afraid of what is. Luke, including the fact that they were asleep, I think gives us a great illustration. You know what? People say, uh, I believe God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. It's, I hear that all the time. And what's happening is that you're awake to your sin, but not awake to the reality of God's forgiveness. His forgiveness is what really matters. And when that happens, his forgiveness is not, not, not real to me, or as real to me as, as my sin. The difference between a religious person and a Christian is worship. Religious people believe truth, but so often it just hasn't they just, they're not awake to it. You don't see the fruit of the Spirit. They can have all kinds of degrees and all kinds of Bible knowledge and, and all the ancient languages down and, and all of that, but then the fruit of the Spirit, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, it just don't mark their life. I've seen this. It's so... It's so common. Whatever your problem is, whether it's bitterness or unbreakable habits or depression or, or uh, worry, the ultimate solution and relief is worship. When you're focusing on who God is and what he has done, what he is doing, until you worship God for who he is, what he has done, and what he is doing, the problem will not go away. You are awake to other things, but not the most important thing. There is nothing more important than worship. Nothing. Verse 32 goes on to say, they saw his glory. What does glory mean? Well, in the Bible, glory means weight, right? We say, you know what? That person's word carries a lot of weight, right? Or, whoa, man, that's heavy, right? We mean it's weighty, it's significant. They saw God's glory, the weightiness, the significance. And, and this matters. Here and now, in our day-to-day -day living, when when we worry, we give other things more weight than the wisdom of God and, and his word. 
When, when you're afraid to be generous you're, uh, with your time or your money or whatever, you're giving more weight to your time and money than to the grace of God. When you are afraid to take you know, the risks involved with living for God and living out God's call on your life, then you're giving more weight to the opinions of others or more weight to your security than the promises of God. You're not worshiping God. You're worshiping these other things. They are weightier, more significant, more real to you than the glory of God. I know because I lived this, okay? There are a couple kinds of people here probably. One says, you know what, I don't believe. Show me proof that God exists. Why should I believe the Bible? Well, you know what, there are plenty of good reasons to believe God and the Bible, and and we could talk about those things. Using your mind and, and reasoning and thinking about these things, it is good and it is important. But you need to know that Christianity is so much more than that. For example... When, when you believe that uh, who Jesus is and what he's done for you, that, that he rescued you, that he saved you, when you believe, you find yourself saying things like, you know what, one day I just woke up. And the things that discouraged me did, didn't seem like such a big deal. The things that, that filled me with, with fear didn't threaten me anymore. I found a courage. I found a strength. I found a poise. I found a peace that I never had before. I relaxed. I knew I was safe. That happens to Christians because these things have become real to them. For those of you who are Christians, you know, you believe in God, heaven, Jesus, the Bible. You need to know that those things can be like a machine with no power. But if they lead you to worship, if these things become real to you, you will change. Your heart will change. Your demeanor will change. Everything changes. Your priorities change. It all changes. And you have an amazing freedom. Like, you know, you're not as concerned about other people criticizing you as as you were. And any self-pity that you might have just evaporates. You don't say, Lord, I need this more than anything else. Because you're content. And you realize God is enough. If you can have everything in the world, everything you ever heart, ever desired, but if you don't have God, you have nothing. If you have nothing, but you have God, you have everything. Absolutely everything. If you find yourself this morning filled with bitterness, bitterness towards people who hurt you, you know what it means? It simply means that you haven't worshipped God for his infinite forgiveness towards you and his people. If you feel trapped by the past, I mean, where you messed up or other people sinned against you and you, you feel trapped and hopeless, It just simply means that you're not worshiping God for his loving control and his power to use whatever happens for good. If you're you're looking at others with a critical spirit and justifying it, 
you're not worshiping God for his unconditional love. Right? This is the dynamic of worship. It radically shapes your life. In worship, what we know about God becomes real to us. But now how does that dynamic come into our life? That's the second point. It's the door to worship. And here's the summary, okay? The dynamic of worship comes into our life through Christ. Okay? It is through Christ. If you're going to experience the dynamic of worship, there are two things about Jesus that must be real to you. Two things that you need to believe about Jesus. And the first one is this, the greatness of Christ. That's what the three tents are about, to show the greatness of Christ. Peter wakes up, sees Jesus talking to Moses and and Elijah, and he says, let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came down and overshadowed them. Now, Bible scholars will point out that everything that God does at this point is in response to what Peter just said. Peter says, let's make three tents. And then down comes the glory cloud and covers the mountaintop. And a voice from the cloud says this, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And then the cloud goes up and then Moses and Elijah are gone. It's just Jesus, right? What is that all about? The the disciples, they, they saw the glory of Jesus and not in just some general way. What's the cloud, right? In the Old Testament, you know this story. God delivers his people from slavery out of Egypt, and he makes a promise that my royal presence will be with you, and it will guide you. Cloud comes down, pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day. It led them. It held back Pharaoh's army. It descended on Mount Sinai, and then there was earthquakes, thunder, and lightning, and fire, and smoke like a giant massive kiln, it says. And God said if animals or people got too close, they wouldn't survive. And when Moses wanted to see God's glory, God said, it'll kill you. That is heavy. And now here the cloud comes down. And a voice says, this is my son. And what God is saying is that my son is the glory. In Old Testament tabernacle, the tent where God met his people, the glory cloud came down. Priests could not get near, and that was just a representation. God says, let me show you the real thing. The thunder has become flesh. The fire has become a person. Now, listen. Either this is true, or Christianity is one big, giant scam. It's a big, fat lie. And you have a choice. Either Christianity is a a total rip-off, lie, sham, or the power of the universe, the creator of the universe, has become a human being. Either Jesus is the only way to God, or this story was written by a lunatic about an even greater lunatic, right? 
If Jesus is not who he said he is, he is a crazy, evil man. Or he really is God in the flesh, the door into the very presence and experience of God. It's one or the other. There is no other option. Well, people like to say, well, yeah, Jesus, you know, there were a lot of good teachers then. Jesus was a really good teacher. But that's it. Let's build three tents. God says, you know what? I don't give you that choice. If you don't believe this claim, you can try to get a little inspiration, but only if you don't think about it too long. Inspiration fades in a broken world. God says, Jesus is not just another prophet that gets you near the glory. He is the glory. He is the unique son of God. And God rebukes the idea of three tenths. Jesus is not just, you know, one of several ways to God. And then second, his greatness is defined by his weakness. Okay? The disciples were waiting for this king, this Messiah that would deliver them all, right? They were under Roman oppression. And then, his, then Jesus says to his disciples, I must suffer and die. They're like, what are you talking about? We got a lot of work to do. They wouldn't hear it because they had a different view of glory. They thought, they knew what Jesus should do better than Jesus did, apparently. And Jesus should use his power and Jesus should use his strength to, to overthrow the oppressive Roman Empire and set them up to rule over the land. Well, the flaw with the disciples' view is that the problem is not the oppression out there. The problem is here. Okay? So the Messiah comes to suffer and die. And when he does that, he totally redefines glory once and for all. This is a different kind of glory. This is a different kind of greatness. Our text says Jesus, Moses, and Elijah were talking. And what were they talking about? At the end, it says they, were, they spoke of his departure. That word departure is the same word for exodus. Jesus has been shown as, as the true Moses who leads us out of true slavery, but he is also the true lamb which was slain, the lamb whose blood was placed on the doorpost so God's people could be spared from death. Jesus reveals his glory and brings glory into our lives by, by losing, by, by sacrificing by dying for others. And he says, everyone who knows me will want to bring glory into the lives of others just as I have done for you. So here's the deal. If Jesus is, if we preach Jesus as nothing more than an example, like look at this good stuff that Jesus did, now go do it. I mean, that's not the whole message and there's no power in that. it stops short. If you believe he was just an example, you might be inspired by Jesus, but you won't worship him. If you think he saves us by, by coming to show us how to live, you know, live out biblical principles or whatever, you will get some inspiration if you don't think too much about it because then you'll realize how fall, far we fall short. 
When you see Jesus hanging on the cross and saying, Father, forgive them for their sins. I mean, you might be inspired to try to forgive others. But when you see that he came to die for you and for your sins so that you could be forgiven, you won't just be inspired. You will worship. So how can we live this out? Well, first of all, worship is a gift. We can't bring the glory cloud down, but we can prepare the mountaintop. How can I do that? Well, that takes us to our last point. It's the discipline of worship. It's the discipline of worship. It's not just worshiping when we feel like it. Okay? It's more than that. It's, it's too important to just worship when we feel like it. Our text gives us three clues about how to worship. First, Listen to Jesus. People say, you know what, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. And that's kind of like saying, it doesn't matter what you eat if it tastes good, and I am living proof that is not true. It does matter. Peter was sincere when he tried to build three, three tents. But the voice came from the cloud and said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. So if you want to get started, a good place to start, just practical here, a good place to get started is in the Gospels. Listen to God's word. Listen to the words of Jesus. And then when you want to respond to God in, in worship, use the Psalms. That's why they're there. Eugene Peterson said that that the Psalms respond to the God who seeks us and that worship is answering the God who has spoken. Left to ourselves, we will pray to a God um, of our own making. We want to worship a God that we can completely and totally understand. I'm telling you, that is a false God. (laughs) The Psalms are responding to the God who is there. Tim Keller has an excellent devotional book where he walks you through the Psalms uh, uh, just a little every day uh, for a year. Um, And it's called The Songs of Jesus. I could not recommend this little devotional highly enough. Every day, short section of the Psalms, uh, a few thoughts about it, and then, then a prayer, and he just leads you into responding to the goodness of God, understanding what he's saying, and then responding in, in worship. So this is just some, probably there's other good stuff out there, but I just wanted to, to, to share this one uh, with you. The Psalms will shape your worship. And then meditate on God's word, like regularly, like as to to. We regularly, totally, absolutely, every moment of the day, we need to be reminded of who Jesus is. And, and that can't happen if we're ignoring our, our, our scriptures, right? In verse 36, it says, when the disciples came down of the mountain, they kept, they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Now, later, the disciples, they do talk about their experience, but for now, they kept it to themselves. And, but this, what I want you to see, this is not just... Uh, about silence here. When they kept it, it also means that they held on to these things. 
that they, that they reflected on them, that they pondered what they had seen and heard and the implications for their heart and life. This is Christian meditation. It's not emptying your mind, but filling your mind with the Word of God and thinking about it and asking questions, reflecting on the significance of the Word. Uh, uh, and, and we live in a world of sound bites, don't we? And so meditation has become a lost art, but it is an important discipline to develop. This world is too rough and too broken for us not to just cherish time listening to God through his word. And here's, here's just one way that you can, just more practical stuff. Take a, 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 verse from, a passage from the Psalms and use ACTS, Acts, to ask and answer four questions. So simple. A for adoration. How does this passage lead me to praise God? C, confession. How does this passage specifically lead me to, to confession and, and repentance? T, thanksgiving. How does this lead me to thank Jesus for my salvation, past, present, and future? S, supplication. How does this passage lead me to ask God to become more like Christ? I... You meditate like that, you, you prayerfully go through the Psalms, it, it will be life-giving to you because it will point you to the life-giver. There is nothing more important than worship. Nothing more important than worship. And then finally, do this in community. Jesus took Peter, John, and James. Worship is not just meant to be an individual experience. It is experienced most profoundly in community because other people help you see what you can't. God designed it that way. So we need each other. That's why talking about Jesus and, and singing about Jesus with others is, is so powerful. If you focus on who Jesus is and what he's done, what he's doing, you have a limited view of God and a, a limited view of worship when, when you don't worship in community. And a limited view of God and a limited view of worship will make you miss out on worshiping in community, the kind of worship that changes your life. And it won't improve by missing it. Our knowledge of Jesus and our experience of Jesus is enriched by others. We get to know him better through what others bring out about him. And in one sense, you can only know Jesus to the extent that you know others who know him. So, it is good and gracious and godly when we are called to commit ourselves to worshiping with others. It's the only way you're going to know Jesus and worship him in a way that leads to a changed life. So, come to the mountain. Worship in community. Expect your life to be transformed. See Jesus for who he is. God's glory is for you. God's glory is for all of us. It is the source of the life that you long for, the source of the life that you need. Come to the mountain 
and worship. We are going to do that in a moment. And we are going to be singing, Come, Behold the Wondrous Mystery. And verse 3 says, Come, Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Christ the Lord upon the tree. In the stead of ruined sinners hangs the Lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory, grace unmeasured, love untold. That's worship. And that becomes real to you when you meditate on it and sing it in community. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, help us to see you for who you are. Be more real to to us. Open our eyes to have a greater understanding of who you are, a greater understanding of your glory and your holiness and your justice and your mercy and your love. Knock us over with the reality of who you are. Forgive us for just going through the motions and for, for worship not being important to us and for giving other things more importance, more weight, more significance than worshiping you. Help us to worship you every day. Help us to worship you when we come together on Sunday mornings. Help us to worship you when we gather with friends to to talk about uh, Jesus and applying the gospel to each other's lives. Help us to worship you in our our small groups and homes. God, give us lives of, of worship because we are dedicated to giving you glory. May we be a church committed to worshiping you together. Help us to see that there is nothing more important than worship. Please transform our hearts and lives. Make us more like Jesus. We pray these things in your name.